Quotient. I'm your host, Kim Seltzer, a dating and makeover expert, where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. Do you know what your brand voice is when it comes to dating? So here's the thing. A brand voice in business represents the personality of a company and a product, in addition to the logo and the colors and the slogan and the tagline and all that jazz that you know goes into business that make up a brand story. The brand voice is what binds it all together. What you say and how you say it will set the tone and is essential in forming your identity. A brand voice helps consumers identify your brand from others, just like your voice is distinguishable from other people. So what if you apply these principles to how you show up, dress up, and communicate your brand when it comes to dating? And most importantly, are you speaking your truth to who you are in an authentic way? I find that a lot of people do what I call shape-shifting, right? Like, which is you kind of morph into something that you know other people want of you or want to see of you so that you create an inauthentic connection. And that's why lopsided situations and relationships happen. Um, I remember there was a man who I was working with who had a history of people-pleasing behavior. And he was in a marriage where he constantly did things for his wife. And he admitted that when he first met her, he wasn't entirely into her, but he didn't have a lot of dating experience and he just kind of fell into the vortex of the relationship and really fast. And guess what he did? He was shape-shifting into what she wanted of him. Fast forward to by the time I met him, he had divorced her after 15 years of marriage and felt completely lost in who he was and how to date. And his identity really had been wrapped up with his wife and what he did for her. And so there he was with no identity. He did not have a voice or a brand voice for that matter and definitely didn't have a great wardrobe. So we definitely we had to start there. And he needed to figure out his dating brand. What was so beautiful about this story? I mean, obviously we did a lot of things together in ways of coaching. But when he was talking about not having a voice, I gave him a direction, a simple direction, and that was every single day I wanted him to get on some sort of recording of his voice where he would talk about his feelings and express what he wanted on a daily basis in ways of like a vlog. Well, he took it upon himself to go on Facebook Live. This was back in the day when Facebook Live was really big, and he started expressing himself on Facebook Live. And before he knew it, he had all these people following him, mostly men who were chiming in saying, me too. And he created this beautiful community. From there, he went to one of my retreats and he came there with a whole new mindset and he definitely was gaining his confidence. And he said to the group, he said, I want to start a podcast, but I'm scared that no one will listen. And I said, who in this room would listen to this man over here? And everyone stood up and clapped. And he started crying. And from that moment on, he started his podcast. And to this day, he has an amazing podcast. He has his voice and he has the girl. And it was all because he had to express his authentic self and use his brand voice to attract what he wants. Your true brand 
and voiced is crucial in attracting authentic potential partners. And when you speak your truth and show the real you, you will have deeper connections, reciprocal relationships, and be more expressive in your thoughts and feelings. And with me today is the king of finding a brand voice and speaking the truth, who is going to help me talk more about all of this and how I'll tie that all in and how you can use it to better your dating life. As a stand-up comedian playing gigs across the country, he discovered his voice and now he helps clients find theirs saying, before you brand yourself, find yourself. Oh, I love that. He hosts two shows ranked in the top 2% of the Apple Apple podcast globally and is the founder of Human Eyes, a personal interface for reviewing, editing, and elevating an AI-generated output creating a space where artificial meets actual. Welcome, Hirsch Hephoon. Did I say it right? All right. I Well, say it again, the last name. How did you? Rephoon. Yes, that's correct. Oh, my God. I said that's it right. That's correct. <laughs> I get a reward. You win, Kimmy. <laughs> You're a winner. I know. I Well, and I mean, more importantly, thank you for coming on the show. I'm My super, pleasure. Yeah, super excited to have this conversation with you. And we discovered offline we have a lot in common with you having a comedic background. and But we crossed paths. You went from L.A. to the Midwest. I went from Midwest to L.A., but here we yeah. are meeting at, at, at the Charisma Quotient. So yep. um, I guess, you know, I would love to start out just by hearing more of your story. Like, I don't know your your backstory and what got you into all of this? Well, I was uh, bitten by an electromagnetic spider. Uh, no, I, um, my story. Um, okay. Well, all right. So I, I grew up in Miami uh, originally. I am, I am, I have to start following the sun better. I did, I did okay for a while. I went from Miami. I did a, I did a, I went to school of visual arts in New York and, uh, and studied originally filmmaking. And then, and then I was convinced to study advertising and I never saw myself as being a copywriter or advertising person, but, you know, I always thought I would be more in show business, more in comedy improv. I did a lot of improv in New York. I did stand up comedy in New York, but I was, um, uh, I married very young and we were having our first son and I chose this job in advertising, which led to a whole eclectic career actually in in advertising pr marketing um copywriting and um and also you know circling back around again years later in la to stand up comedy again and producing content and i always i think from about from about the 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 time that i moved to la which was 97 i think i was I was starting to figure out that there was going to be some marriage of brand and content and this branded entertainment vision, which seems so hard to fulfill. It's like you look at brands and they've all tried to do what's considered entertainment, but it's sponsored by brand, but it they can't quite get it, get it right. But I, I've always surfed those two things, the comedy, advertising, with the concept that you you have to sell the truth. You know, you're, you're selling the truth. You're not, you're not trying to snow anybody. You're not trying to fool anybody. Entertainment is a legitimate way of, of fulfilling a promise to, to the audience. And, um, and the brand aspect is now obviously taken on so much more meaning because a personal brand 
you know, is really about who you are. Brand is who you are. It's it's your brand. It's what is your brand of 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 uh, humor? What is the way you talk to people? What is your manner? You know, so I think uh, helping companies and individuals with that, with their voice is a real is a real passion of mine. And as as you mentioned, I I learned that on the stage. I would do voices. I had an ear for voices as a kid. I could do dialects. I could do different things like that. And uh, after doing so much stand-up, I finally started doing it in my own voice. And I was like, oh, this is really liberating. I don't know if it's as funny as a French accent or a British accent, but maybe those things are just affectations that I don't really need. Maybe the humor and the intelligence and the point of view are there, and I'm just piling all this stuff on top of it. So that's how I kind of became a, a voice expert, if you will. No, that's really interesting. And I, you know, how I was talking about the authenticity of your voice, you know, and how that kind of breeds connection too. Because I, I, and even with comedy and, and when you see things out in entertainment, I think people really relate to, you know, times where you are vulnerable and you're leaning into who you are in your voice and that kind of thing. So, cause I was wondering like back in the earlier days, did you find that you were using some of the comedy as a way of deflection and not being authentic? I think it was, it was almost the opposite. It was that, ah. that the, the, vo the voices allowed me to be authentic, except I was authentic in a synthetic, you know, <laughs> you know, outfit. It's like, you yeah. know, as a British character or whatever it might be in this. And often it would be a reflection of who I was talking to, mm. which can be, you know, either embarrassing or offensive if they don't really, if they don't really, if they don't like it or they don't think it's funny, but right. quite often they just kind of thought it was funny, but it was a way of letting go of who I really, who I, who I was put together as. And so as Hirsch, having to be Hirsch and be all the things that Hirsch has to be. And then, you know, that, that was very heavy to me. So going into a new situation and just being British and I could still be more or less myself, but I could inhabit life in a way that was liberating. And, um, but it took a while to be as comfortable as myself on stage as I was doing, doing the characters. No, that makes total sense to me. I mean, actually, this is hot off the press. I just got back from uh, one of my dating retreats that I did, and I did a lot of improv games in there with, with oh, the cool. folks. And it was awesome. And we played Freeze, as you probably yeah. know that, right? right? Yeah. And um, and we played other games. And what was interesting is that it did exactly what you said. It gave a lot of the people permission to have a voice express feelings in ways of a character that might yeah. be kind of super scary otherwise. Right. And it, and they even talked about it afterwards is that, you know, wow, like they didn't know that they had it in them. For instance, there was a woman who um, she just keeps saying, I don't know how to flirt. I don't know how to flirt. I'm a bad <laughs> flirt. And yet I gave her the role of being the biggest flirt on stage and everyone was blown away because she, guess what? She was the biggest flirt, yeah. but it was giving her that voice, that permission to do that. And like what you said, sometimes it takes kind of that distance to then merge to the authentic self at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wondered like for you just applying this for dating. Um, cause you said that you had been married before, right. And like, how did your journey with your voice and shape your relationships? Well, um, I think that, I think that until very recently, probably a few years, let's say, let's say until the pandemic, I think, I think, you know, there was a, if I think for everybody, the pandemic's a, a, a turning point, a pivotal point, something like that. So, but I think I always had to tap into that, those voices and that, those personas, those liberated, colorful personas to feel confident. And so when I, when I got divorced, that was the only way that I could really feel like I could be confident really, mm-hmm. but it wasn't on the stage. I wasn't really doing stand up. I don't know what I was doing. I was working in advertising. I was working in, you know, I was entertaining as a, as a, you know, in a business setting, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing the stage that much, but I started doing a, uh, I had a writing partner. Oh, that we I had a writing partner. We were, we wrote some screenplays together and we wrote a TV pilot and it was about a British, it was like, it like kind of uh, foretold the, the, the Osbournes. It was before the Osbournes, but it was about a British rock star who had blown his vocal cords out and, and had licensed his life rights to a to a documentary company so that he could pay his bills and keep his house. And um and it was called The Miserable Life of Ian Staines. And this character, <laughs> I was doing this character and I actually met my wife, my current wife. I we I her her sister was in it and we needed a voiceover and her sister wasn't available and she was available and we just kind of became friends. It wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, anything crazy. We didn't know each other very well. And then, then we, then I asked her out. And I think that, that moment, I kind of became more, at least more comfortable just being myself in, in a situation where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm divorced. I got three kids. I'm, my life's kind of a mess. I'm kind of like in a, in an upheaval, you know, and I'm who knows where I'll land. And I'm doing this crazy, you know, show business thing. And then I got the advertising thing, the screenwriting, who knows? I'm like, you know, you feel vulnerable. I was at my most vulnerable. So let's put it that way. Hmm. So, um, so I think at that point I had, you know, I, there wasn't any point in, in trying to, charm with those other things you know with the with the with the talent you know the talent was was good was there but it it wasn't going to it wasn't what i what i was going to use it was more just the honesty and the kind of just openness and um and that so i think that was a turning point and then and then you know over the succeeding years and that's like you know 18 years ago now so um, you know, I think over that time, uh, I, I got way back into comedy, started out again with all the voices and all the stuff and, and then just dropped them like, like on a dare almost <laughs> one of my buddies, <laughs> one of my buddies was like, just do it with it. Like no voices. 
I'll do your set. He says, I'll do your set with, with no accents. And you do my set with no voices. You do just my kind, my friend's kind of humor. And he goes, let's just switch sets tonight. Who cares? Nobody cares. And we go and we do a show and, and, and we did that. And I was like, man, I like just telling, telling stories and jokes and I don't have to do the voice, but it it was a very long separation. Took a long time. I love that story, by the way. And just like told that story really that, that way. Certainly not. No, I never, I've never really told that. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing it because I mean, I think so many people listening can relate to that. And, and and it is, it's like that journey of leaning into your authentic self. And I think there's so many people that I work with who feel that their self value and their self worth has to do with what they can deliver, what they can do there, you know, whether it is like the comedy and like, that's what I'll give, you know, that's how I'll get the girl or that's, that's my value. Or, um, it could be anything like being successful and, and what that looks like. And the conversation is always when I have clients like that, I say, but, but who are you beyond that? You know, like, Mm -hmm. what do you offer somebody in ways of just who you are? And a lot of times people can't answer that. And that's the journey. So when you start like recognizing all that you are beyond what you can do for some people or your, you know, work identity or whatever it is you're leading with, that's really when you get to see the people who like you for you and not for what you can do. And that that's the magic. So I, I, I love that story. <laughs> well, cool. I and and I could I could see also like people listening and saying, yeah, but I mean that's easier said than done, right? Like how how do I lean into that and find my brand voice with authenticity? What would you say to some people who are struggling with that? Well, I think one thing one place to start is a lot of people think of brand even with authenticity. They think of it as something they show people. In other words, uh, what's your brand? Oh, you know, we're we're the crunchiest potato chip on the planet, let's just say. Um, but, you know, and then they figure out, well, what do they stand for? You know, everybody's conscious of their of their uh, image, you know, but it's image. It's like the PR side, the PR side of what am I going to say I am? And 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 same as with the voices, it's like, that all that does is add another layer of distance between you and the people you're talking to. So yeah, I was liberated by being able to inhabit somebody else, but I I wasn't closer to the person I was talking to. I'd be much closer talking to them just just like this. Mm. So so when you remove that that filter, now how do you safely remove a filter as a a brand? Right? You don't want to just shove yourself out there in the world with no filter to speak of but the filter is is on the inside the filters like back here you that's why when i say before you uh, brand yourself find yourself because mm-hmm. the advice is okay look inward a little bit think about who you are don't worry about you know the way you're presenting like i would tell clients don't 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 worry about the words like just talk to me I do the words. That's what you're paying me for. I take what you tell me and I turn it into really good words, whether they're ads or emails or, you know, a billboard, doesn't matter. That's all just what the medium might be. But it's got to come from you and your heart and your passion. And 
I think a lot of people miss the boat on that. They hide that. Oh, well, that's yes. personal. That's my personal thing. That's not for anybody else. Well, yeah, you can have your secrets of what, what you want to hold on to, but that's different from knowing who you are. You know, know who you are and, and let that start to be what your image is about. That is awesome and so powerful. And it so relates to dating, you know, like and you're yeah. in that stage of marketing yourself because I always say like, how do you market yourself attracts love. Um, and that was the title of my TEDx talk recently because right. there's so many, I think, misconceptions of what what you should be doing to put yourself out there. And you're right. Like a lot of times people get caught up in what other people want of you or what, what, you know, like, oh, even on the profile, you know, people will put on things that are not really them or they'll have someone else write their profile or whatever that is. It's like, I just helped a woman last night do that. And I just like, just, just talk like brain dump. Right. What is it that you want? And that's the half the battle too, because a lot of people can't even answer that question. So until you get really clear, like how are you supposed to attract the business, like in your case, or the person that you want, and, and that's really healthy and that's like congruent with you, unless you know who you are and what you want. Yeah, yeah, I and love. And sometimes that. you can be a person who doesn't know who you are and what you want, and if that's like I was in that moment, you know, and if you if you are genuinely that, you know, that's still a, it's not necessarily a brand. I'm not the guy who doesn't know what he wants and is totally vulnerable and, you know, and, right, uh, right, right. but, but the honesty is a brand, you know, uh, that's also a brand, you know? Um, and so I, I feel like there's, there's a marriage to be made between, the raw feelings, emotions that you have and the way you present them, mm -hmm. you know, it isn't just say what you feel, be what you feel, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, work that you can do more just thinking about what you want and who you are though, worrying about what the other people are going to think of it is the, is the worst way to, approach any kind of branding you know yes. just that yeah. it's just doomed for personal and otherwise you go up to somebody and you meet them for the first time and you tell them what you think they want you to say and it, you might as well have you know poured a bucket of ice over yourself it's just this is <laughs> well, i know not only that as we're talking about like how exhausting that must yeah. be too oh like, yes how much headspace that must take and energetically and you listening, if this is you and you're like always in your head and you're thinking so much about pleasing yeah. others or what others think of you that no wonder it's exhausting, like approaching a woman or, you know, like expressing your feelings to your partner or whatever that looks like. So yeah. Like, what would you say to someone who is scared I mean, just like really fearful of leaning into that kind of vulnerability of finding out who they are. Um, well, it's I do acknowledge that it's an emotion. You know, emotions are not solved with intellectual reasoning. Right. So you I could say to myself, you know, I have nothing. There's nothing to be afraid of. Like stage fright. 
right? Exactly. Stage fright isn't literally isn't brain surgery. I mean, nobody's going to die on the table there if you (laughs) if you are completely not funny, you know? Right. Right. You know, that would be a funny like film almost or a funny little bit where a guy goes on stage and he just does a terrible job. And and there's someone in the audience who's dead and they're like, (laughs) he's dead. Exactly. (laughs) Wait, but you were so bad that the person died, and it's like, well, that that's not going to happen. But I, but at the same time, I think, you know, maybe lean into your fear a little bit. Think of the fact that think of what fear really is. You know, when in these situations, social situations, we don't think of fear as the. Uh, equivalent or the or the real motivator of hate, right? We don't think about hate when we're in a social situation, we're trying to meet somebody. But the fact is, you know, fear is what hate really is. Hate is just a manifestation of fear. 100%. And so there is no such thing as hate without it. It doesn't exist without fear. And so when you think about fear that way and you're like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. That's like a very negative... And very, you know, I'm just going to choose the the best case scenario. I do that, tell that to people. Just mm-hmm. assume the best case scenario. You, you ever like have somebody say something or worse, text or email something, and you're not sure what they meant. And you're like, oh, sh- shit, they're going to they 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 hate me. They're angry at me. They're they're belittling me. And it's like. Well, just find the most positive interpretation of what they wrote and assume that that's what they meant and write back, write back, assuming that you took it not outlandish, you know, but just assume that it's the best possible interpretation and write back. And then if they really meant it in a certain way, they'll write back and tell tell you. you, Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 And then more importantly, just pick up the phone and talk about it. Right. Like, yeah. and, and that's, this is an, a whole other, you know, direction, but I love that whole, like leaning into fear. In fact, I don't know if you ever played this game. There, there was an improv game and, and actually this relates to myself too, where you have to play up something that you think you're really bad at or suck at. Oh yeah. You know what I'm okay. talking about? So I remember I was in class and way back when, and this may humor a lot of you who know me, um, is that I thought I sucked at storytelling. Me, who like teaches storytelling. That's what's so funny about it, people who know me. And I went up on stage and I played up being a really bad storyteller. And it was so bad that it was good. That everyone said mm-hmm. that was the best scene ever, you know. Right, and right. It was a big lesson that I learned from that. That like it's it's exactly what you're saying, is that often we what we think is horrible and huge in our head is actually beautiful to other people, or they don't even yeah. see it, right? And so when we lean into that, we advertise that and just make it funny, or like just being more relaxed into it and just state yeah. it. Like stating how you feel like, okay, that I felt really dumb there, you know, instead of hiding it, I think that is part of finding your voice, right? You could go, you could go on a, on a standup stage and do nothing but confess your fears to the audience. And I guarantee you that they, that they would laugh and that they would be more relaxed, not even that that you would be more relaxed. They would be relaxed. 
you get up and I, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't even something that I, you know, some kind of tremendous insight that I came upon. I literally witnessed it. There was a, there was a comedian and he was on stage and he, and he was nervous and it was an open mic. So he, you know, it's people are used to like somebody being for the first time. And he turned away from the audience and he said something like, Oh man, you're making me so nervous. And it was, and everybody laughed and that, that release was what he needed to feel like, okay, they're not tense now. Yes. So I can, I can relax now, you know, it's not going to turn around and be the biggest set of his life, but at the same time, you could literally confess your fears and be, and be completely at ease once you've done it. I love that. I love that. The other side of your fears is a, is a very, bold and courageous place, you know? That's awesome. It's so funny because this weekend I I did party quirks with them Uh and that's another like improv game. And so what I did is I took the things that they thought they were bad at and I made them that character. Right. And so like the one who didn't think she was a flirt, she was a flirt, you know, like whatever it was. And to your point, there was so much humor that came out of it. Like you said, that release, I think that, is so important. Well, and it brings me to another question and and I think you'll have a really insightful answer because there's a fine line between you using humor to deflect and using humor to release. Can uh-huh. you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> oh, wow. That's really great, Kimmy. Well, because the because the 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 I started this the my I have a couple of podcasts. One of them is called Truth Tastes Funny which I started because truth tastes funny because we were coming out of the pandemic. There's a lot of chaos. Everybody doesn't even, nobody even knows what truth is, but if we do know what reality is, like something really happens and we're dealing with it, we need humor to diffuse the, uh, the tension. But I believe that the difference between deflecting and diffusing is that diffusion can actually be permanent. You know, Mm. you can actually accept something once you diffuse the tension. With deflecting, all you're doing is putting it off. It's still there, you know? So, you know, that's where I learned about this self-deprecation trap that we fall into. It's I was a victim of my own self-deprecation for years and years. And sometimes it was even so obvious as to not be you know, not be, uh, you know, taken seriously, like, you know, oh, I suck at that, or I can't, uh, you yeah. know, so and so could do that, I can't do that, you know, and and it's 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 also kind of a false modesty where it's like you just don't volunteer for something you know you're really good at or that you could do. It could be subtle too, but I think when you use humor to make fun of yourself and deflect some of the pain and do all that stuff. You're not solving the problem. You're just delaying it, you know? Whereas if you can just take, you know, the, the truth tastes funny thing is that, you know, you can swallow it, you know, you can take it, you can take the truth. It's not going to taste great. Maybe a little funny, may taste a little funny, but you can get it down, just get it down, take your medicine. And so that's where I think the diffusion is a way more useful tool 
than That's than de- deflection. Yes. Yeah. There's a fine line because I know like yeah. I, I see that even like on first dates or, you know, they'll use people will use humor to just either put themselves down, which is almost off putting or they'll deflect themselves, you know, like so they don't really right. like they're not real, you know, kind of thing. So I right. think that's good. Well, you know, you look at comics like uh, Rodney Dangerfield or mm-hmm. uh, or uh, Joan Rivers, uh, Phyllis Diller, where, you know, they would make fun of themselves constantly. And clearly earlier on, they had been made fun of or somebody made fun of them. But the, they knew they knew that when the light went off, they were the one who was standing on that stage. They were the they were the hero in that moment, even if they're talking about, you know, their house dress or their doctor, you know, their doctor hates them or their parents dropped them off, left them in the woods, whatever right. it was. Right. That may they may have had terrible, terrible parents in some cases or experiences, but they know I'm the I'm here, you know. And and it took them a while to to, to get there. Roseanne too, but it like took them a while to get there, but they, they reclaimed their dignity by not deflecting it. That isn't deflecting it. See, they're, they're, they're making a joke at their expense, but they're not deflecting it. They're in charge. Dolly Parton said the same thing. People used to make, make fun of her being so buxom and all of that stuff and she, and her image. And she said, yeah, but I, I've created this image. I know exactly what I'm doing. I control it. You know, and she's a brilliant woman, a brilliant uh, uh, songwriter and philanthropist and um, all that stuff. And 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 she knew she's like, look, I just figured I got to I got to dress the thing. I have to take the power out of the, the hands of the viewer and the audience and put it in my own hands. Yeah, right. Because it takes also like she knew in that case, it's like you know, there's focus there. And instead of having the elephant in the room, it's actually saying, here I am, I know it, and I'm in control of it. Right. You know, and so I know that's a great way of looking at, oh my God, Hersh, I could go on and on with you. I'm like looking at the time, (laughs) like, oh my God, we get here. Um, All right, so I have a a fun request. Oh, okay. Please hear some some voice that you do that I don't know, maybe it's like your specialty (laughs) voice. Maybe you can give like parting words of wisdom in that voice, but I I think that'd be really fun. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. It it, is. I, I I used (laughs) to think that I, you know, I couldn't go like a, like a, like 10 minutes without doing a voice. And now it's like, now it's like pulling teeth to get me to do it. But what, you know, you know how it is when you talk about it. I do. Um, but um, but I would I let me let me see, because I'm debating whether to do like an impression. Ooh, an impression or or a or a, or a just a voice, a dialect. Dialects only work. You know, the dialects work when there's a certain situation. Um, I'll throw this story out because it'll give me a chance to do the dialect, but it'll okay, but, it's, but it's a true story and it has to do with branding. OK, great. So, so I was I was at the headquarters of of Birkenstock, the very famous German. Uh, uh, I've heard of them. Brand, yes, <laughs> you've heard of them. Um, and I was at their. Uh, uh, I've done a lot of footwear marketing, sneaker marketing, all kinds of stuff. Oh, cool. So I'm a kind of a creative director in that world. So I was at their headquarters in uh, in San Francisco, 
and um, and the the uh, CEO of Birkenstock America's David Kahn, who's uh, since become a very good friend of mine, is um, is introducing me. But he's like, you know, you got to do something fun. He knows my shtick that I do. And at that time, he had seen me do many, many things. And he goes. And he goes, just do, just do a little something. Like I'll introduce you around because they don't know you. Just it'll be fun. So I say, well, introduce me as Hans Schrag. Tell them <laughs> that my name is Hans Schrag, and I am the I am I am the innovator behind the Birkenbus. And he says, he says, what's the what's the Birkenbus? And I said, don't worry about it. We'll go. And he says, okay, this is everybody. This is Hans Schrag. This is he's he's working with us on the new Birkenbus thing. And that was all I needed. And then I was like, well, the Birkenbus, the brilliance of the Birkenbus is you start in San Francisco, yeah, and you stop in every retail store, every shop of Birken Birkenstock across the country, and you're bringing them uh, new styles. Uh, for free for anyone who comes out with their Birkenstocks. Their Birkenstocks more than 20 years old. You're giving them the new one. And it's like, a, you know, it's a miracle. It's like a miracle. And it's the Birkenbass. And we do a whole tour and all. And about halfway through it, David was like, well, hold on a second. Let's get the let's get our VP of marketing <laughs> here. And I ended up doing a presentation that we have yet to do it. We haven't actually I did. I did present it as as high up as as the as the chairman of the of the entire company but yeah. but they don't need you know they don't need to do that kind of advertising uh because i think at this point in their storied you know career i could actually hurt them <laughs> it's like yeah you think that's funny but it's really if somebody doesn't like it one guy's like that asshole from the bus <laughs> but um Oh my so god, that's, that's brilliant. That's that's a one that comes out of German one I used to do in uh I used to do a lot of German showmen. I would <laughs> I I don't know I don't know why. I did a whole thing, I did a whole stand-up thing where I did uh I sang and danced, and the idea was that I had gotten separated from my orchestra and my animals and my other, you know, the whole <laughs> like if you imagine a whole uh uh, uh Siegfried and Roy show, Vegas oh, show. Hilarious. And then I I show up at the venue. And I'm either at the wrong venue or or I got separated from the team. And now I have to do this show without without all the fanfare. And that was a <laughs> that was a stand up bit I did. Oh, my God. Well, thank you for that. That was my really pleasure. Fun. I will have to have you come back on a, and with somebody completely different. Uh-huh. No, something That's completely right. different. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Hirsch, thank you so much for coming on. And it was a really interesting conversation. And I think you just helped a lot of people give that permission to really like find your voice in an authentic way. And is there any like kind of parting words of wisdom that you wanted to share? And also like how people can find you in your podcast. Yes. Well, the easiest way to find me Yes, now darling. That me, now that you've got me started, it's going to become chicken not stirred. <laughs> now, now I'm going. Yeah, now I'm going. If if you were British, I would be doing that. I would. I do. Oh, I do I that see. with my friends. You can if you search my appearances, and you, you you'll see the British hosts. I just end up doing a British accent because it it makes it makes sense. Um, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> Parting words. Parting words. Where can people find you? Where can people find me? Um, well, I think uh, they can go to getmessagetherapy.com, which is always a good good way to find me. If they, if they see my name spelled out in the show notes or whatever, it's hirschrepoon.com also. But um, 
But a lot of people, do, you know, therapy is is losing the stigma of being a, uh, a shameful and bad thing. So if you're a brand or you're working on your dating skills <laughs> and you want to approach it from a from a brand narrative point of view, then uh, a little message therapy never, never hurt anybody. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kimmy. And thank you for joining me today. You listening, this has been the Charisma Quotient, and I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. Remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you are attracting superficial or lopsided relationships in your life and want to get to more authenticity in your dating life. Hop on a call with me and talk about ways that I can help you. Just click the link you see in the show notes. And remember, working on you is working on your dating life. That's all for now.